Welcome to our second message in the Breaking Free series, where we're looking at how the power of God works to bring change and transformation in our lives. Last week, Ray Forsey discussed the power of wisdom, and today we'll be examining the power of gratitude. In considering gratitude for this message, I noticed something unusual. I realized that gratitude is not part of the list of the fruit of the Spirit in that famous passage in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they're all there, but not gratitude. Why not, I asked myself. And the conclusion I reached is because gratitude is a feeder virtue, a gateway virtue, a foundational virtue in the kingdom of God, which supports and builds up all of these other beautiful expressions of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's dig down into the importance of gratitude by looking at the foundations. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, John the Baptist's disciples come running back to him, their teacher, with news that's obviously very distressing to them. They are a bit protective of John, and they tell him that Jesus was now baptizing too, and that everyone was flocking to him. I guess they thought John would be distressed about this as well, but he wasn't. And here's his wise answer as to why he wasn't. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John saw that all gifts are a matter of God's wise choosing. Everything we have, everything is a gift of God. Do you have clothing and shelter? That's a gift of God. Do you have any family? Do you have any talents? Do you have a job? Do you have food on your table? Have you survived some terrible times in your life? Do you have a good friend? Have you ever recovered from sickness? Have you been able to give to someone and make their day easier? Care for someone who's sick or grieving? stood in awe of some magnificent beauty in nature. Everything you've received has been given to you from the throne of God. And how often we forget this, we live in a culture that does not bend toward gratitude, right? It focuses instead on what we don't have. Just look at the advertising that bombards us, setting us up toward envy of others. If we believe this, that every single thing we have and everything that everyone has is a gift from heaven, it can really stop envy, covetousness, and comparison dead in their tracks. From the minute we open our eyes in the morning, we're surrounded by and sustained by gifts. The trouble is that we usually take God's gifts for granted, and each day they go unnamed and unrecognized. Gratitude is certainly foundational in our relationship with God. In Paul's masterpiece of writing, his letter to the Romans, he begins the story of man's separation from God, citing the importance of gratitude by showing what happens when we deliberately turn from giving thanks. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and beasts and animals and creeping things. Our lack of gratitude leads us away from the worship of God into idolatry. We Christians talk a lot about sin and how that's the big problem between man and God, but listen to what Pauline scholar N.T. Wright says. 
The fundamental problem, according to Romans 1 through 3, is not sin, but idolatry, a failure of worship, which leads to, but is itself deeper than, the multiple failures of human living, which is what we would call sin. What he's saying is that when we don't recognize God as God, our creator and sustainer, and express thankfulness to him for all that we have, we turn to other things and we look to them to try to get what we think we need. We put someone or something in the place of God, and of course, that person or thing will be unable to save us or fulfill us or help us. Idols always let us down. So we easily drift away from gratitude to our own peril. But let's look at what fostering gratitude allows into our lives. In being grateful, we're willingly placing ourselves in the posture of humility. Humility can be likened to a two-sided coin in this respect. One side of the coin of humility means we recognize who and what we really are, finite and needy human beings who are limited in things like we can't keep the sun shining, we can't keep our hearts beating, we can't control what other people do, we can't often even control what we ourselves do. Jesus said, you can't even add one day to your life. Well, the other side of the coin of humility is to recognize that God is the creator, the sustainer of life, the only one who can rescue and save us. This reality check about who we are and who God is looks back to what Ray spoke about last week in her message, that we have a daily decision to let God be God or to take things into our own hands. And if you decide to let God be God, you'll find your heart bending toward gratitude and being more comfortable admitting what you're not capable of. Being grateful is more than simply using the words thank you, although it often includes that. Here's an illustration that Jesus gave us, recorded in Luke 18, the message translation. He told this next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looking down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or, heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week and I tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. Notice that the respected religious leader used the language of gratitude here. Oh God, I thank you. But his heart was anything but grateful and humble. And the hated taxman, though his words were few, was humble. He recognized who he was, a sinner, and he recognized who God is, the only one who could help him out of his predicament by his great mercy and forgiveness. In this series of messages, we are focusing on spiritual practice, what we can do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as God works to mold us into the image of His Son, Jesus. I want to reiterate what Ray said last week about the place of effort in the spiritual life. Wise teacher Dallas Willard has written this, The path of spiritual growth in the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action, earning is attitude. You've never seen people more active than those who've been set on fire by the grace of God. 
And Paul, who perhaps understood grace better than any other mere human being, looked back at what had happened to him and said, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. As to means of grace placed in our hands, well-directed action is the key. The disciplines of the spiritual life are simply practices that prove to be effectual in enabling us to increase the grace of God in our lives. Now, I apologize for using a situation from my own life here, but it's such a stark example that I feel it could be helpful to many of you. Some of you know, but for those who don't, we have a granddaughter who was born with a rare genetic disorder that has affected her brain as well as she has survived surgery and chemotherapy at age one for an aggressive brain cancer. Her name is Vivi. She's four and because she's not neurotypical, she is behind in growth in almost every respect other than height and weight. Almost every day, I am confronted with a choice when I hear about someone else's granddaughter who is four and taking ballet or climbing trees or learning the alphabet, or I see a mother in a store picking out clothes with her little daughter, or I long to read a book to Vivi and she doesn't yet have the cognitive ability or the control to sit and listen to a book. I have stark choices in front of me. I can go down the path of imagining all the what-ifs, of cataloging all the things that Vivi can't do and that I can't do with her, of all the simple joys we're missing out on, of moving on to envy of others and covetousness of what they have, of people I know and even of strangers in stores, of ending up stewing in resentment toward God for what we have not been given. Or I can choose to shut the door to that path and turn toward the little ways that Vivi is growing, the things she can do now that she couldn't do last year or six months ago or six weeks ago, the angelic little smile she gives me and the fierce hugs that tell me she knows that I love her and I'm beloved by her. And when I do, gratitude to God for those things expands in my heart and I am at peace. When I shut the door to comparison, pity, envy, and resentment, and turn instead to gratitude, it makes it easier for me to do that the next time a tempting situation presents itself. And when I choose gratitude, to use Willard's words, this proves to be effectual in helping me to increase the grace of God in my life. Believe me, I'm far from perfect when it comes to this, but I know from experience that indulging in comparison, pity, envy, and resentment brings me nothing but pain, and I'd much rather move on in my day with a heart of gratitude and peace, focusing on the good, the true, and the beautiful that is in Vivi's situation, and particularly in Vivi. Please don't think that I'm saying that grief does not have an important place in life. It certainly does. I have, as I'm sure most of us have, had to deal with or are still dealing with grief for deep wounds and losses in our lives and for grave disappointments. Cultivating an attitude of thanksgiving does not mean ignoring deep feelings which we need God to heal in us, often with the help and prayers of fellow believers or even with the guidance of a trained counselor or therapist. But alongside grief, we can still be expressing our gratitude to God, flexing that muscle of thanksgiving, even in dark times. And when we speak of spiritual practice, what do we mean by that? Well, we mean something we do daily, repetitively, as a matter of course, like brushing your teeth. 
No one gets good at playing an instrument, right, if they don't practice regularly, and no one becomes proficient in a talent or a sport if they don't take time to work on their skills almost day in and day out. There's a spiritual truth that is also true in the physical realm, and this is it. Whatever you feed in your life is going to grow, and whatever you don't feed will starve. Galatians 6 uses a different metaphor to say the same thing. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Are there areas in your life where you're feeding feelings of envy, pity, and resentment? Where maybe you're planting those things? Maybe others have a better job than you, a bigger home, a happier family. Maybe they have a past that has not been as hard as yours. Whatever it is, you can shut the door to that path of comparison, recognizing that God has given that person a good gift. And you can turn to focus on the good gifts that God has given you. And maybe, if this is difficult for you, you can sit with a Christian brother or sister you trust and have them help you to see the good gifts that you may not be able to recognize on your own. I'll end by focusing on some practical and deliberate ways Christians have sowed into Thanksgiving in their lives. Some people I know keep a Thanksgiving journal. They write down one thing they're grateful for every day. Some parents, along with their children, make a Thanksgiving list in November leading up to Thanksgiving Day where each family member contributes something daily to the list. Some people have put up sticky notes on their bathroom mirror or bedroom mirror to remind them to be thankful each morning. My friend Lissy told me about author Ann Voskamp's Joy Dare. Voskamp has come up with a calendar that offers a dare to be joyful each day by giving thanks for gifts. And believe me, if you find it hard to think of things to be thankful for on your own, working through her creative list will stretch you and blow your mind with all the small things that we take for granted. I'll tell you how you can access this at the end of the message, if it's of interest to you. When I was young, it was typical for many families that I knew to give thanks before meals. In my early Christian days of throwing away practices that seemed to me to be rote and dead, I scoffed at that. Now, I see it as a way to remind myself three times a day that everything is a gift of God. Maybe that's something that would work well for your family or with your friends when you share a meal. Spiritual practices are not just for us to do alone, but many, most, we can do with each other. I love it when we pray with our community group and people will begin their prayers with thanksgiving to God. We all feel our spirits lift as we hear someone whom we know is struggling in some area of his or her life, but yet they begin their prayer with heartfelt thanksgiving to God. I challenge you to consider how you might make a daily path to pursue gratitude. 
Notable Scottish preacher Alexander White had a practice of always beginning every prayer with praise, even when it seemed that things to be thankful for were few. On one Sunday, his congregation, walking in from a bitterly cold day only to find that the church had no heat, thought Preacher White might finally be stumped. But they underestimated this man who was practiced in giving thanks and had a touch of wry humor. He bowed his head and he prayed, O Lord, we thank thee that it is not always like this. This makes me grin as we've all been in crummy situations like this, but also it highlights a fact I don't want to ignore in this message. Paul tells us to give thanks in all things or in all circumstances, depending on the translation of 1 Thessalonians 5, but not necessarily to give thanks for all things. In the prayer he taught us, for example, Jesus prays, deliver us from evil. He does not thank the Father for evil. So developing a heart of gratitude is not the only thing in the life of discipleship, that's for sure. But I want to challenge us to make provisions in our daily lives to pursue it, this posture that will make the soil of our lives optimal for the growth of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what He's working into us for our good, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. And I want to end the message with a prayer of thanksgiving, a beautiful prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you've made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us an awareness of your mercies, that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving ourselves up to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Share about two big gifts and two small gifts that you're truly grateful for with the group. If not in a group, share them with a friend. Discuss how fostering gratitude in your life can further open the door to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Be honest with yourself. If there's envy and discontent in your life, how are you feeding those feelings? What can you do to starve them and feed gratitude? If anyone is interested, you can find author Ann Voskamp's Joy Dare calendar by Googling Ann Voskamp Joy Dare. When at the site, you need to give your email address to get access to the free download of the entire year's worth of Joy Dares, which are printable.